But like, but like, really, the rom-com between a reanimated terracotta warrior and like the person who finds him at the bottom of a well. Oh like, my god. Like, just yeah. the humble farmer. The elixir of immortality <laughs> didn't work on the Duke of Kin, but it'll work on him. <laughs> oh, I definitely pronounced that wrong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. Hello. And Indigo, who we will not put on the spot. Uh, today, uh, we... Uh, <laughs> Uh, having a having a fun time today, Red. Uh, how have you been? I have been moving apartments and just am finally starting to feel like my house like exists. I got the soundproofing up today. Uh, it's good. Yeah. It's been a very busy couple of weeks. It really, I mean, couple of weeks. Let's, more like a couple of months at this point. Like, let's be real here. Uh, it's, you know, it's interesting. It, it really does feel like things are kind of starting to calm down. Uh, like I knew this would happen. But I, I still somehow wasn't emotionally prepared for it to actually happen. That, that things are actually sort of easing off and getting better, and you know, various constant stressors are slowly starting to melt away. <laughs> it's a very strange sensation. I, I can actually feel my brain casting about for for things to be stressed about because it's not used to, exa- <laughs> to existing in this low pressure environment. Yeah, um, uh, among other things, uh, uh, all three of us uh, here at, at OSP, and I guess four of you include Cyan, uh, have gotten and at I least one or both of our uh, COVID vaccines. Yeah. Um, I got my J&J uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I celebrated my immunity day by eating Thai food in the restaurant, a rebel <gasps> here. Uh, and Red, you are halfway there, right? Yep, I got my first Pfizer shot um, about a week ago at this point. So, yeah, uh, for those of you who have the opportunity, please get vaccinated. Oh, my God. It took us so long to get here. (sighs) I don't know how to, like, explain this without going, like, way into the science because I don't know enough of the science. But the vaccines (laughs) are... Wonderful, and we can link some resources down in the show notes if you are curious about learning more, if you're if you're a little bit on the fence about it. Um, there are a lot of benefits, very few drawbacks, yeah. and it's just so, so important that if you can, please do. Everyone should be eligible if you are above the age of 18. Um, uh, 16, I think. 16, ooh, even better. So, anyway, that is something that we are all very excited about here at OSP because science kicks ass. Yeah. Um, and uh, if everyone gets vaccinated, then we can all live our own damn lives again. That's that'd great. That'd be great. That'd be uh, nice, yeah. Yeah, um, so... Aside from that, uh, we have had two videos up on the channel um, oh. in the past uh, uh, two weeks. Uh, <laughs> uh, Red, you just the other day had um, powerhouses, which uh, I know when you were when you were coming up with well, with the trope talk idea, you're like, "Oh, I know this rules. I'm totally gonna do this." Yeah. <laughs> that was a fun one. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a it's a trope that is uh, near and dear to my heart uh, to a degree that I think. I- I wasn't even aware of until I started writing it out. And I was like, no, wait, actually, this one is always my favorite character. <laughs> I wonder what the connection is. Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun unpacking that. Um, it, it, doing like the larger structural tropes can be fun, but it, it can be really fun to just get in the weeds with like one mm-hmm. specific character archetype because, you know, you can just start describing like, oh, you might be, uh, et cetera, you know, which is always just a fun format for this kind of thing. And I, I don't know, you know, powerhouses are just they're fun. They're fun to have, but also easy to mess up, which is just great for me to talk about. Um, yeah. I, one of the things I thought was interesting about the episode is that there are a lot of pitfalls in writing a powerhouse, mm. specifically with like with warfing them or, or with whatever else, where either you 
you use them as the token like punching bag and they don't actually ever get to do anything cool. Yeah. Or they're so overpowered that there's no point for the hero to exist. It's a very different character to balance, I think is was one of the big takeaways from that one in particular. Yeah. Yeah. I've been rewatching some like older media and being like, oh, you know, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes like all the characters are powerhouses in their own way. But how that gets balanced can be kind of interesting. Um, I, I mean, I didn't touch on that because that that's a whole different trope. But there's a lot of stories where, like, from a certain perspective, everybody is overpowered, but in completely different directions. So it's like, yeah. oh, this character is completely overpowered in this very specific combat situation. This character is completely overpowered as long as they have access to this, like, artifact that if they lose, well, none of that's true anymore. Or, you know, <laughs> um, or even just, like, diverse sets of strengths. Um Oh man, uh, there's a there's like a sneaky example in in the video that people who didn't know what it was were like, oh, it's a generic character, and people who did were like, oh my god, you watched Slayers, so that was fun. <laughs> um, but uh, basically, the the context is that Slayers was this anime back in the '90s, uh, and the the character example I used uh, in the in the video was just the this like swordsman guy. He's he's a swordsman. He's very very good at being a swordsman and nothing else. Everyone else in the party is objectively more powerful than he is, and yet somehow he still fills the big guy role to a certain extent. Like, everyone else is like a sorcerer. He hangs out with this lady who can cast the fantasy equivalent of a tack nuke without blinking. It's just a lot. Uh, but, y you know, everyone in that team has different strengths, but I would only classify one of them as the powerhouse. I mean, you know, I also talked about the Avengers, which kind of constitutes the exact same setup. Everyone is a powerhouse in their own way, but it's about the team comp when you're determining which one you would classify as the team powerhouse. Um, Every one of the Avengers is a powerhouse in their own way, but only one of them is the god of fucking thunder. Right? And it's like, <laughs> let's be real, Hawkeye's powerhouse qualities are slim. <laughs> like, tick, tick, boom. <laughs> no offense to the man, I think he's hilarious, especially in that show. But like, I mean, come on, he's on a team with Thor. He's not exactly classifying himself yeah. as the heaviest hitter. And, but, and the comparison that you made between Thor and Hulk was really good because like Hulk is mm. obviously the biggest and the strongest on paper, but in terms of reliability, obviously it's Thor. And, and so yeah. they still fulfill different roles. And Avengers gets interesting because it's like, what happens to the five-man band when it's like a 12-man team? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have to get a little <laughs> bit more, more, more delicate with the way that you balance it. Um, but in, in terms of, uh, of other examples, one of the ones that I thought was really interesting that didn't get a ton of play in the video itself, but you, you did touch on specifically, was mm. Toph, because uh -huh. her character is interesting because she is extremely powerful at earthbending, yep. but the way that, you know, her powers manifest is interesting because being someone who is blind, she has one, you know, very particular, you know, weak point in her, her power set, her ability to, you know, deal with things that are flying or deal with the desert in the case of the episode with the temple. But yep. she is still extremely powerful and how she makes up for that is really interesting within the context of her power set. And then also just in terms of her character, one of my favorite yeah. top lines is like, look, there it is. That's what it'll <laughs> sound like when one of you spots it. Yeah. <laughs> Toph, actually, she's a really good example in the desert arc specifically because, like, mm -hmm. she's she's at a disadvantage. She can't really see. She's having trouble. They're going somewhere she's not even going to get anything out of. And then they do the thing. I, I wasn't even thinking about this when I wrote this example of, like, oh, maybe, maybe there's a bad guy and an environmental threat and the powerhouse has to pick one to deal with. And I wasn't even thinking that Toph literally has to do that in the episode. Mm -hmm. When the library starts sinking, she's single-handedly holding up the entire building and that's the only reason the bad guys can get away with Appa, because she's busy holding up a building with her bare hands. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that's so and that's good. tough because it's like it's a moment where she objectively succeeds in one of her tasks but fails in the other, and then you know mm-hmm. all the character dynamics that come out of that. But oh, oh man, so desert good. arc, super good. And like uh, nobody and else could have done character. that. Yeah, tough no, rules. no one else. Nobody else. That's that's a big thing. You know, like a lot of characters have individual strength in their stuff each of them could do. But sometimes you look at something like massive and you're like, all right, who can deal with that? And it's just oh, so good. Yeah. So fun. And of course, and then, you know, well, you know, the flip side is, of course, that's if you're using a powerhouse. Well, it's very, very easy to not do that because it requires like conscious thought to look at a character and be like, how can I play to their strengths? How can I let them show off? Like, um. Back to Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the thing that I've talked about about that show is that I like how much that show likes Thor. Like, if you watch it, you can tell <laughs> that the writers just love Thor. Like, I think in the first episode, when he first shows up, people are like, whoa, it's Thor! And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's the attitude. That's the energy I want you to bring to this show. But, you know, it, it requires kind of conscious effort to be like, okay, what, what can this character actually do? What are their strengths? Uh, and Earth's Mightiest Heroes uses him in an interesting way in the mid-season finale when they they do Gamma World, basically. One of Hulk's villains makes this big dome of gamma energy and it starts mutating everybody. And it doesn't affect Thor, but it does affect every other Avenger. So he kind of ends up having to deal with a lot of it single-handedly. And that's an interesting way to use his character and the fact that he's not human and thus gamma stuff doesn't... I don't know, whatever. Why am I trying to talk about science and how it affects Asgardian physiology? He's fine, basically. So it just ends up being like him and Hulk and Hawkeye for some reason dealing with the entire threat. (laughs) And it's so fun. Um, And that's, you know, that's using a character's individual strengths. But from a narrative standpoint, it's very easy to get a lot of mileage out of being like, wow, I can't believe they took out the strongest character. So... Like, I mean, I've DBZ been watching. DBZ syndrome. <laughs> DBZ syndrome. I mean, well, DBZ is actually interesting because everyone is kind of a powerhouse, but also constantly outclassed. Like, uh, I, I was rereading the, the manga for a bit just because of a thing we're doing. And um, it's interesting because, like, they keep introducing, like, wow, Goku's so much stronger than before. And then, but wow, Frieza's still so ridiculously out of his league. And it's, it's like they do this, like, seven times before he goes Super Saiyan. And you're like, oh, finally, Jesus. And even then, he's still like, well, I'm only at 50% power. It's just like, ugh. I don't know. It's like good, but also I hate it. You know how it's it is. It's like, what if Superman's world of cardboard speech took 20 episodes to deliver? God. <laughs> yeah. So that's a thing. And like, I, I've been also watching Star Trek Next Gen, and it's just really funny to me that like Worf is introduced. Yeah, poor Worf. <laughs> he's clearly supposed to be so cool, but they don't let him do anything. They don't, even, they don't even give him like an establishing character moment where he like wins a fight and then they start kicking him into stuff. No, never, because they don't do fight scenes. Why would they do fight scenes? Any problem that could be solved by Worf punching it is not worth making an episode about, so they just don't ever show it happening. It's very weird. Uh Poor Worf. I've I've heard they do him like they do him a little better in is it DS Nine? Yes, Worf also is a, a, a reoccurring character in DS Nine, which is slightly more combat. Sorry to jump in here. It's slightly more combat <laughs> in the next generation. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not totally um, escaping the shackles of the Worf effect, but it is slightly less present in that. Yeah series anyway they, back to sometimes podcast. sometimes they do the powerhouses dirty sometimes they give them a chance to show off and like i mean i love the world of cardboard speech i've brought it up in like three separate trope talks at this point but man he does get immediately taken out after finishing it he's <laughs> like man is like i'm gonna destroy you and then just gets clocked <laughs> he just gets clobbered he just gets zapped by something and dark side is like Mwaha, now that i have you at my mercy i'll stab you or something and it's like are you kidding me this is how we're finishing this you couldn't just let him punch him 
And then, then Lex Luthor shows up with the solution and then they win. And it's like, Dark all right. Darkseid's like, well, I live in a world of aluminum foil, fucko. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. You know, it's, it, it's tricky. It's a tricky balance to strike because the problem is if you let Superman be as effective as he should be, uh, why do you have anyone else in the Justice League? I mean, like maybe Batman. You know, you could probably squint and justify having Batman, but everyone else is like, oh, wow, you can fly. <laughs> How novel. I don't know. You know, it's just, it's tricky. It's really hard to balance that kind of overpowered character. And like, you know, Dragon Ball, good example. It fell apart basically the minute they finished the arc where they did all of the power buildup. Because by the end of that, everyone is so incomprehensibly strong that there is no sense of scale. So then when they had to do later stuff, it's like, oh, these guys are... Even stronger somehow. Don't ask how or why. It's, you know, it, it's very difficult to balance that kind of thing. I've, I've talked about power creep in like two separate videos recently. So it's, you know, it's been on my mind. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's one of the tropes that is super, super difficult to balance. Like some of them are like, yeah, here's a trope. It is fairly straightforward. And if you just kind of like do it, it's, it's not Good. super <laughs> easy to just like wander into a terrible pitfall that completely undoes the point of the trope. Mm -hmm. uh, powerhouses is not one of those. No. <laughs> it's incredibly complicated to do it right. It, yeah. If you if you make them too strong, then you get rid of all the stakes. And if you make them too strong and then make the stakes affect them anyway, you're undercutting their own character and introducing an inconsistency. It's just a mess. Anyway, uh, you also had a video in the last couple weeks. I, I did, yeah. This was a, a bit of a different one. Uh, the past few months have been kind of like me giving myself easy projects to deal with, uh, among other things, having to move apartments. <laughs> um, so when I had my, my my Italy video at the beginning of the year and I was like, ah, eh, Palladio, I'm gonna cut it. I, I talked about it on the podcast a little bit. I put it a tweet thread and people were still like, more, do more. I'm like, <laughs> all right, video it is. Uh, so I put it into the schedule and people seem to really like it. So yeah. uh, I'm going to need to figure out some branding for that, but I definitely have more episode ideas for the future. I've already got a list of like seven. Uh, <laughs> so that'll get me going for a few years. Um, yeah. But it was really fun to do uh, a, a dive onto how that works because architecture is one of those things that is very arcane if you don't know like the lingo and the background and have a very specific crossover of artistry and engineering know-how to, to be able to read it or to, you know, be an architect yourself. Um, and, and I'm definitely no architect, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I have enough like casual experience of observing these things uh, through the context of uh, Assassin's Creed and my own travels <laughs> to these places, uh, having like heard many, many tour guides talk about this stuff and just like looking at it and reading books that I'm like, I feel semi-qualified to talk about this. And it was still a lot of research to be like, wait a minute, I, okay, so I understand this detail right here, but I don't, I don't know how we got to that point. So at first I was like, oh, you know, Palladio did this and this and that. But it's like, oh, there's this other guy, Sansovino. How do I fit him into the story? So it was cool to be able to tell it as a narrative of like, okay, here is how Italy started. Like, here is what it looked like at the beginning of the 1400s. What changed? Why did it change? And what was the process of starting from Brunelleschi's like, oh shit, the Romans knew how to build buildings. They were good at this stuff. I should like steal their tricks <laughs> to then Sansovino and Palladio being like, oh, I'm going to steal the look now. Uh, and then you see the development and the progression and then how it kind of got like solidified into style. So it was cool to do that and just like present it in, in a narrative that's usually very hard to do with architecture because it's wibbly and it's hard to quantify. And when one movement starts and ends is, is even more abstract than it is with like literature and art because oh, yeah. it's, it's buildings and they stay there. And then like once it exists and takes up space, 
it's not like, you know, you get to the 1700s and all of the buildings look like 1700s buildings. It's it's a very slow process. So it was interesting mm -hmm. kind of unpacking how that works. Yeah. And clearly I have a lot of thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. One thing I thought was really interesting about that specifically and just encouraging is how many people were like, listen, you got to understand, it's usually not about what the video is about. It's about how enthused you are talking about. Yeah. It, which is like, yeah. oh, very nice. And like, man, yeah. we we've really succeeded in cultivating an audience. If it's literally like, hey, we like hearing you talk about stuff. And, like, you know, <laughs> obviously we can't let that go to our heads exactly, because then you're just going to get 60 minutes of me rambling about how I've been watching you. You hawk a show lately. And it's really good. You guys <laughs> like nobody needs that in their life. Well, I mean, no, yeah, okay, no, I'm not tempting fate. You're not getting that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's the difference of like, you know, when, when BDG was like, yeah, I had the original three hour Castlevania episode that was not interesting. You yep. people keep asking for it. It's not good. Like the, clearly, like there's a difference. Uh, and and yeah. just because some of us are masochists doesn't mean that that content should be out in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, and, and to an extent, uh, there, there's a balance between like what is interesting to me and what is actually good content, uh, and I think mm -hmm. I managed to hit it with uh, with this one. Um, but one thing specifically that I, that I should address is I got a couple comments and one very nice email saying like, "Hey, Blue, you you talk about this and call it neoclassical architecture, but by like periodizing and and by the definitions, the neoclassical movement in architecture is 17 and 1800s. Renaissance architecture is a different thing, and that." That is true, like by the specific definition of like capital N neoclassicism, that's not a Renaissance thing. That was a movement born out of the 1700s, trying to like come down to earth after Baroque and Rococo kind of ran away and made everything like way too fanciful and complex. Some people were like, mm -hmm. let's make it simple. Let's make it easy. We now have a lot more knowledge in how these buildings look like than we did in the 15 and 1600s. We can use that to actually like try and really like authentically replicate what these buildings would have looked like since we're working with more than just ruins. Cause like excavations had taken place by then. There was a lot more, you know, knowledge in the air. So you can like see the difference between capital N 1700s, 1800s neoclassicism versus Renaissance architecture. But I still feel like there comes a point where I have to say like the definition is pretty arbitrary. Like what yeah. is modern art versus contemporary art versus postmodern art? Sure, <laughs> definitions to delineate those exist, but it's kind of dumb and doesn't mm -hmm. really make sense to anyone who's outside of that very specific bubble. So for the purposes of the video, I stand by the fact that I refer to it as neoclassical architecture because like by the definition of the word, new classical, that's what it was. You know, yeah. lowercase n neoclassicism, sure, but for the comments that were asking about that, I do recognize that there is a difference and technically I am using the term wrong, but <laughs> I felt pretty justified in my decision to describe it in the way that I did. But, you know, to their credit, there is a difference. You you can visually tell they were they were born out of a different thought process and they had different goals and they do end up looking different. So it it, it is a, a a thing that I felt yeah. like I should address on here, even if I, I don't end up talking about it in a video until I do eventually talk about Baroque and the indecipherable mess that is Rococo in its own video <laughs> later. Yeah, I mean, you're fine. Like, I think I think most people agree, like, you're using terms in a way that is easy to understand, even if it doesn't 100% line up with, like, the clinical definition. I, th I think yeah. you're fine, you know. But I mean, it's important to address because clinical yeah. definitions exist for a reason, but I feel like that is one of the things that is usually such a barrier for people getting into talking about art and, and architecture is like, I don't know what the hell any of these arcane, abstract, 
arbitrary words mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, guilty is charged. Architecture is a uh, kind of a, a black box to me. I mean, you know, it's it's just it's one of those things I've never really been able to personally click with. Just like I look at a building and I'm like, that's a nice building, but I don't necessarily notice if it has columns or not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, that's entirely fair. It was yeah. part of the the point of this video was like, you know, pretty buildings are pretty buildings. Why do they look like that? Um, so I feel like taking that angle is what helped a lot of people. Because uh, to your point, Red, like I saw a lot of comments like, I don't have any interest in architecture. I do have an interest in whatever the hell Blue's talking about, though. <laughs> so uh, the way that I framed it of like not trying to be super clinical, not trying to be like start with the textbook definition of like you can tell it's a neoclassical building because it has this and this and this and this and this. But yeah. like telling a story and framing it as a narrative um, makes it make more sense and seeing the progression of like, okay, you can follow the development through the career of like this one guy and then also through like these other two guys, Brunelleschi and, and, and Sansovino on, on the side. It, it, it makes sense. It just, it, if you tell a story linearly, it makes sense. So yep, anyway, yep. Um, I, yeah. I, had, I, I had a very fun time uh, with that video and I'm excited to make more because there's a lot of other stuff that, uh, that could be talked about. And it gives me the opportunity to do some, some deep dives on a single building if I really feel like uh, going all in. So uh, stay tuned for, uh, for some more of those. Uh, yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah, no, uh, I think that this, um, it's really encouraging that people like this kind of format so much yeah. because that, that gives us a lot of options. I mean, like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, now, now that our schedules are sort of leveling out a little bit, we can kind of go back to not necessarily having to give ourselves so many easy outs <laughs> video wise. Um, yeah. cause like I, God, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's been a lot, like we don't need to go it, into yeah. all the details, but it's been a lot. There's a reason we haven't really been able to, to to build in the time for streaming lately. We are hoping to get back into it, but yeah, yeah. it's it's been very busy for both of us. For for me, the move and a handful of other things. Um, but yeah, it, it's, just, it's been yeah. tough on the schedule. So uh, mm-hmm. we appreciate you guys not only being uh, accommodating for uh, for some of the videos that we that we've put out in this interim, specifically for me, where it's like I am doing topics that I already know very well uh, and some <laughs> things that are fairly easy for me, uh, and uh, making the Cleo April Fools video be that week's video, which saved me yeah. untold amount of headache. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we, we appreciate you all uh, bearing with us and then also in, enjoying the stuff that, that we put out because then it's like, oh, wow, this this could be a series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we've been uh, we've been playing with a few options just for like not lower effort, but like a little more just like, yeah, we can just kind of sit down and enthusiastically info dump about something. And people actually do like that. Almost as much as when we put a lot of effort into scripting it and, and polishing and editing. So, I, you know, it's, it's that good. We have a lot of knowledge on various things, some of which are important, most of which are not. <laughs> yeah. But the, the fact that a lot of that stuff doesn't make it into a video is something that for a long time we've been like, hmm... Hmm. I don't know what I would ever do with this information. I have it. And for me, like the architecture was was a lot of it. Cause like I did the streams where it was like, oh, you know, tour through Rome in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. And I talk about the architecture, but it's like, mm, uh, this can go in a video if I, if I play my cards right. So yeah. uh, hopefully we'll have a few more of those kinds of things uh, soon. So that's something new and exciting to look forward to. Yeah, um, definitely. With that out of the way, uh, quick turnover to uh, announcements. Uh, the Loki pin is all wrapped up. 
It yep. sold insanely well, just a few yeah, pins Jesus. shy of 6,000, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Yep. Um, if you missed it, um, you can go to our CrowdMade website. There will be a button for you to get a notification when it goes back in stock for Black Friday at the end of this year. Every year, we will rerun the pins from that year. So in this case, uh, Hades and Persephone, Loki, and then the next two pin sets. We'll rerun those at the end of the year. We'll tweet about it. We'll we'll mention it on our live streams. We'll, yep. we'll post about it. You'll you'll see it if you follow any of our socials. Um, <laughs> but know. if you missed Loki or if you missed uh, Hades and Persephone, you'll have a chance at the end of the year. And uh, that's that. Uh, yep. So, Red, unless there's anything else that you want to mention, I think we should switch over into the Q&A portion of the show. Sounds good to me. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from the Ask OS Pod channel on Discord. If you've got a question for the show, head over there to drop your cue for a chance for it to be featured on the pod. And if you are a patron, you might have your question be the very first one read, just like this patron's question will be. This question comes from, oh god... <laughs> oh God! Wow! Uh, yeah. Wow! The big man himself. Glad you're I a don't fan of the show. <laughs> if the letters are supposed to be read individually or all at once, so I will do it both ways to cover my bases. F B L T H P or Okay. They ask to all if one famous sculpture were to receive the Galatea treatment, so they can speak, eat, and have relationships, which one would you pick, and how bad would it damage humanity? So pick a sculpture to come to life. Ooh. Uh, Michelangelo's David would demand pants and throw the rock at the, the <laughs> nearest person that he sees. Or yeah. he would abolish <laughs> pants as a concept, and then the, it's just, that's the new look. <laughs> would he be uh, a trendsetter, or would David he David is in the pocket of Big Leaf. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not a very big leaf, let's be real. Um, sorry, that was crude, even for me. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, man. Why am I blanking yeah. on famous sculptures? This is stupid. I mean, Statue of Liberty would be pretty fun. Yeah. 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 I feel like she'd have some choice words for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> um, Read the sign, you dumbasses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want the Mothman statue standing? to come to life. The, the well, Mothman I mean, statue in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, guy? the one with the really nice butt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we all know about the Mothman statue yeah, with the really that's, nice butt. You know what? That's an easy pick right there. We're going. <laughs> yeah. Famous works of art? Nah. We're going for the most famous work of art. Mothman. <laughs> there is think... that really tall statue of, um, uh, there's the really tall statue of Genghis Khan somewhere in Mongolia. Mm. That would be All of the terracotta horrifying. warriors actually come to life. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so many terrible options. <laughs> I think but he honestly, means so though, many wonderful options. But like, but like, really, the rom-com between a reanimated terracotta warrior and like the person who finds him at the bottom of a well. Oh like, my god! Like, just yeah, the humble farmer. The elixir of immortality <laughs> didn't work on the Duke of Kin, but it'll work on him. <laughs> oh, I definitely pronounced that wrong. Honestly, I. You know, we might be onto something with this. A, there is, if nothing else, there is a fan fiction in there somewhere, if not a yeah. whole story idea. I mean, what is, I mean, is it fan fiction if it's an entirely original concept, not based I mean, on a fandom? I guess, I don't know if there are like his fandoms for historical sites and things. I mean, there is, but I think at that point you're writing historical fiction technically. That's, so. I, I suppose you're right about that. 
I guess this would be urban fantasy or historical fantasy. I don't know. But how would you classify well, a rom-com or rom-comedy dramedy between a terracotta warrior and the farmer who finds him at the bottom of the well? <laughs> right in with your suggestions for how we would yeah. classify that. Where in the Dewey Decimal System would that monstrosity fall? <laughs> we'll also be accepting submissions of fan art, of course. Oh, yes. Um, this is, I don't... Uh, I break this rule all the time, but I don't usually tell you to tweet at um, me and or OSP. But if you do do some fan art of our <laughs> new pitch. Ridiculous crack ship. <laughs> this I would like to see. Yeah. <laughs> Whee! All right. Ooh. I think that question's been answered to my satisfaction. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. This question comes from Wandering Requiem. Both of you can answer this if you want. So both of you should answer this. How long does a video normally take, including getting the information, so like doing your research and such? Um, and can you take us through the steps of the process? Uh, Red, you first or me? Uh, <laughs> I can go first. You have more of a process, so yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I make one video and then make another video and then make another. So it's like front to back, front to back, front to back. I, I am not far enough ahead in my schedule that I can work on them concurrently. So for me, it's like three, four days of research and scripting. And then once I have the script, um, I send it to Red, she checks it, we exchange notes. Um, yep. And then I will work on maps and any visuals I need to create. And then that process takes like, usually like four days or so. Uh, and then I will record it uh, at some point in that time, whenever I have a, whenever I have a free day. Um, I'll record that. It takes like you know, a few hours and then I will edit that together or I'll send it to Indigo uh, who will edit that together and then we'll exchange notes and then that takes like another day or two uh, and then I make the thumbnail and do the metadata and all that stuff. So for me, probably front to back, it's like just under two weeks. Um, sometimes if the video is shorter, it, it goes quicker. Sometimes if I have uh, a, a research process, like when I was doing my Viking Age video where I spent two full weeks doing research, um, uh, <laughs> it can become a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Uh, but usually it's, it's just under two weeks. Uh, so it gets a little dicey when you have to put out a video every two weeks. <laughs> yeah, the break weeks are good for that. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, I just checked. Uh, so I do work in parallel. Uh, I, I do not sit down and do a single video front to back. I haven't done that in years. Um, and uh, I just checked, and I have 17 scripts currently open and in progress on my computer. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I. the thing is that that doesn't mean that they're all, like, equal levels. Like, a couple of them are... You know, I have like a second draft going and I could probably polish them up and record them in one sitting. Uh, and some of them are in the notes phase. So like if it's um, if it's a trope, what I do is I sit down and I just like write out all my thoughts on it in one go. And then like in like kind of a simple bullet point format uh, or like, you know, indented bullet points. You know how you do just all my thoughts. And uh, maybe I'll like scan through some of the relevant tro uh, TV tropes pages to start accumulating some examples I can start mulling over. And then I'll just kind of let that sit for a bit until I'm in the right mood. And then I go and turn it into a script, usually five or six pages. And I'll, I'll usually do that in one go for a first draft. And then after that, it'll just be a couple rounds of polish. With the myths and the folktales, uh, what I always do is I pull up the original text. I read through it once and I just take linear notes on the story. So like as things happen, I, I'll add them to a bullet list of like, oh, this thing happens. This guy does this thing. Sometimes with a couple little thoughts or visual notes on how I'm going to render it. And then again, later, when I come back to turn it into a script, I go through, I take my notes, write it all out as an actual linear script. Then I go through a couple rounds of polish, you know, add a few more jokes. But I, I do all this very much in parallel. Like some of the scripts I have open are tropes. Some of them are for myths or folk tales. Uh, 
couple of them are like sort of half deep dives. Uh, the deep dives also take a lot longer because I can't just do all the research for those in one sitting. It's not just based on a single text like a normal myth or folktale is. So for those, I usually sit down first with the first round of sources and I go through them and I try and put the picture together and then I just let it sit for a while and then after my brain's digested it, I come back and I draw in more stuff and more sources that I find and I write them all out and I try putting everything together as best I can into the, uh, the shape I need it to be. And then once I'm confident that there's basically nothing more that I can find that will appreciably affect that, then I try and turn it into a script. And even then, those take so much longer. Like the, the Loki video was genuinely in progress for like close on two years. Uh, so, you know, very variable lengths, uh, but that's just the scripting process. After the scripts are done, things get a little bit simpler. Um, because then I record them. And these days I've been recording scripts in like batches of between three and five. I've been trying to build up a buffer to give myself potentially the option of taking a vacation at some point. Um, you know, one can only hope. Anyway, so <laughs> basically I, I, I record them and then I edit the audio, you know, cutting out the breaths and stuff. Uh, and if it's a trope talk, I edit in the talking frames. This is like just the, the tedious part where I just go in and I make sure that the little me sitting on the chair is making a pose appropriate for whatever's going on at the time. And that it's kind of annoying, you know, usually takes me a few hours. Uh, it's, it's pretty tedious because I can't like listen to music or anything while I'm working on that because I need to be listening for the audio. It, whatever. That's by far the most boring part of the process. After that, with every video, things get similar because then I just start having to fill in the visuals. Uh, now, unlike Blue, I basically draw almost all the visuals. Like for the intro or the uh, the outro, I'll often draw on like existing paintings or sculptures and stuff. But for the central part of the story, I will almost always use my own illustrations. You know, for trope talks, I obviously draw an example footage, but I also draw the frames. And for that, that process for each individual video usually takes me between one or two weeks. Uh, I'll, I'll basically be sitting down and making maybe a minute of video progress a night, sometimes more, sometimes a lot less, depending on how cooperative my brain is being. <laughs> um, and then once all the visuals are done, then things get a lot faster. Then I basically go through, add in soundtracking, uh, pick an ending song and record it if it's one of the myth videos. Then basically, sometimes I leave those on the back burner while like, if we've got a sponsorship, I obviously need to like get the script for that vetted. I might be getting into the weeds here. Uh, basically- this, this, this is a pretty weedy answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a lot. They were like, no, how I mean, long it's does a it lot. take? We have a long process. I was just kind of like, I do this, I do it's that, lot, I yeah. do that, then it's well, done. <laughs> you know, it, it's a lot simpler. When you want to make quality content, you can't take a weed whacker to the weeds. Yeah, you kind of just got to get in there and accept that like, there's, um, a, there's a purpose doing them to the weeds. one after another, but because I'm doing a lot of these in parallel because I, my brain is uncooperative. I cannot always trust that when I sit down to work, I'll make as much progress or as good progress as I want to. It, it, it's kind of a gamble. So I, I need yeah. to work well in advance so that I have enough time for the stars to align for my brain <laughs> to let me sit down and work. Like I, I recently finished the visuals for a video that'll be going up in <laughs> June. Um, and, and that, oh, I thought that was gonna take forever. In hindsight, it basically took a week. And that was like, I never, I never really got into the zone for that video. I never sat down and just felt the progress fly out of my fingertips. It was just like, all right, I've yeah, yeah. 30 seconds of progress. That's not bad. Let's take a break and, you know, hydrate. Okay, maybe I can get another 30 seconds before I crash. You know, it's at that slow pace, it still took about, you know, a week. Sometimes it takes me two yeah. at that pace. But uh, yeah. usually when I'm enthused about something, it, it's a lot faster, a lot easier. And that that's the zone I, I aim for, but I can't control when that happens, so, yeah. you know. Meanwhile, for me, I can, I can brute force my brain into being in the zone just by, like, 
downing an entire pot of coffee in the span of 30 minutes and then I'm pretty much in the zone for anything yeah. <laughs> so whether it's recording or making maps or writing the script or, or whatever yeah. it's just like all right <laughs> boom there we go uh so uh, one of the things is that if I really just am not feeling like in the brain space to do video work yeah. I'll like answer all the emails that we get a lot of uh <laughs> and and, and yep. do other things uh, uh such as that so I I can usually like flip off from video work to do like channel management work like you know tabulating monthly revenue and uh, uh, organizing with our people at crowdmade and having meetings and talking to our youtube yeah. guy and yeah, yeah, yeah. numbers spreadsheets yeah uh, <laughs> reminding myself that I, I i got a minor in economics for a reason uh, <laughs> um yeah. so yeah but uh, usually for me it's like okay we're starting on a topic i'll i'll like you know either grab a book off the shelf get something from the library or um, if, if the stars align for me, uh, I will, uh, find multiple, uh, lectures from the great courses plus and just like <laughs> ram through those. So, uh, yeah. when I was doing my video on, oh God, what was it? Uh, when I was doing my video on South Africa, one of the great things that I was working with was like, here's a, a course just on African history that has like seven videos specifically devoted to South Africa, like over the years. And I'm just like, all right. Fire it up, put it on one and a half speed, let's go. Uh, and <laughs> just take notes on all that. And whenever that's yeah. like, there's a great courses lecture, I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to be so much easier than normal. Because if I have to read a book, my reading speed is excruciatingly slow. It like, honestly, mm. like I read at like a seventh grade level in terms of speed. It is like, mm. I, I can talk faster than I can read. I do not know how I do this job sometimes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so having it like presented audibly is so much better for me so that in terms of the research process that's one of the things that i that i really enjoy um is like if someone explains it i'm like oh no i get it i get it but then if i have to yep. read it it's like oh god this takes forever yeah and i can't skim i have to read everything i uh, i've not developed the the habit of skimming uh so for those of you who who have a hard time like with the physical act of reading it's okay you can still do it 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 is just complicated. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, I for me it kind of depends. Like if the if the writing style is engaging, I have no problem. I've like devoured books in like the, a matter of hours. I sometimes it's a problem because I can't feel like I can put the book down until I'm done. <laughs> so that's bad. But then the other problem is if it's not like that, if it, if it's not written in a way that I can click into, it's just like one word at a time, force my brain to digest it. It's very frustrating. But yeah. um Sometimes uh, a switch flips. Uh, for instance, I recently started trying to read the Shahnameh, uh, the Persian Epic of Kings. It's really good. But it's not exactly written for a modern brain to immediately be like, yeah, this is super interesting and fun. Uh, so I, Also, I like some of that comes down to translation yeah. for what it's yes, worth. Yes, definitely, yeah. The, the translation I'm reading is like, fine, it's a bit dry, and it's not super... In so I was kind of skimming through it and obviously the first part is one of those like kind of lists of kings like oh this king did this cool thing and then was supplanted by this king who did this cool thing and i'm like oh my god and i realized i was skimming when i ran into something like and that's when they decided to overthrow the serpent king and i was like back up back the fuck up and when i knew that there was a serpent king in the bargain suddenly i could read the whole thing i was like okay yeah yeah so this guy this guy invented clothing and this guy invented fire that's great when does the snake king show up so you know, it's it's sometimes it's a give matter of snake figuring out. King. <laughs> yes, give snake king uh, receive plot. So, you know, it's uh, sometimes it's just a matter of finding the right way to attack it. And uh, in this case, all I needed was a promise of tropes. Heck yeah. yeah. For me, yeah. 
One of my favorite things, and then we can we can get off this question. But for me, some of my favorite days in the process are what I call map days, uh, oh, when like I've done the script and I know like okay, here are the visuals that I will need to construct. I can't draw. You've seen me draw. If you've seen the Lemay's April Fools video, it's sure. bad, it's slow, and then my hand hurts afterward. So yeah, I I make maps. I I I do map work. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's just like I make the map. I, I, I doodle on all the little images. I, I make my little, little icon things, and that's fun because I can listen to whatever the hell I want. When I'm oh, scripting, yeah. I can only listen to um, like uh, music without any vocals because if I hear other words, that just destroys me. Um, and yep. when I'm editing, I can't listen to anything because I have to listen for the timing. Uh, yeah. When I'm recording, if I was listening to anything, that would just be really, really confusing. But like on map <laughs> days, it's like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I can do yeah. like podcasts, all about it. YouTube videos, sure. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, the podcast right. just has a really fast turnaround. So the work schedule for that is basically... Um, for a week and a half, I will read through all the Discord questions for maybe like five minutes a day. Uh, and then from Sunday until the podcast is released, it's just record. And now we will spend every evening editing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. This next question is for Red from Nafitz. Oh. Uh, who are the two figures on the pedestal near you in the Trope Talks room? Oh, uh, it's Dante and Virgil. Uh, from the Inferno video. Uh, it's even from one of the specific shots. They're like back to back wearing sunglasses. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just a cute little joke. Um, so it's a nod to the uh, to the 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 OG uh, OSP fans. I mean, not really. The video is <laughs> yeah, still there. You can see it, it if you're new to the channel too. Yeah, uh, if you want but it's to. Uh, it's a little Easter egg for for those of you who've, who've seen the whole mm. OSP discography. <laughs> not how I would design those characters now. I think <laughs> I, I try and make the characters a little bit less generic anime boy when I draw them now. Um, but yeah, I, I understand the confusion. But yeah, it's it's just a cheeky little in joke with myself because I think at the time that uh, we started the trope talks, when I was drawing that background, uh, I think the Inferno or you know, just the the uh, Divine Comedy was the last thing I'd really worked on that I was like, yeah, that was iconic. That's mm -hmm. so I'm so proud of that. Uh, I think it was like yeah. before the deep dives and everything. So it, I was just like, we got to make this room look fancier. What's fancier <laughs> than? I don't know, marble statues on a little <laughs> column. <laughs> little tiny pedestal. Actually, yeah. uh, Red, not to I'm actually you, but um, oh, the I think the first use of the, uh, the the armchair room was from before the trope talks because oh, yeah. in the first episode, it was like, I hope Blue doesn't realize I'm stealing his, his, his format for when I used to do the the, the old OS <laughs> podcast. And I think right. we even had it before then. Um, the so that, that room actually podcast. goes very far back uh, in, right, in OSP right. usage. Um, yeah. And it became a regular fixture um, uh, in, in your videos during Trope Talks. You're right. Uh, which is, yeah. uh, and now we're too attached to it. It's like, who cares that the bookshelf's a foot away from the wall? It's fine. Yeah. You know um, that if I remastered that shit, we would get like death threats. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, like, no, the old one's better. It's like, yeah, so can't touch like, it. Listen, there it is forever. Sorry, I, I can't actually blend the fire effect in so there's not a visible line at no, the no. bottom because, you know, hands <laughs> are Get around <laughs> Sorry. That. Every single trope talk, change one thing in the room until you oh, have completely God. revamped it over the course of like 20 trope talks, but you've done it so slowly mm. that no one can call it, like no one notices, you know? You just like very, like move the bookshelf back a little bit in one trope talk and then the next trope talk, like change the fire animation just ever so slightly and just keep building and eventually it'll naturally metamorphosis. <laughs> Uh, God. Honestly, Ugh. that'd be a really good idea if we didn't just give away right now. <laughs> that and the fact that I'm pretty sure I don't even have the original art file yeah. for that. Oh. I, I'd need to redraw Oops. it from scratch. 
We need to redraw the old one and then yeah. fix it. Okay, yeah, no, this Ugh. is beyond our pay grade. No, yeah, yeah. It's that uh, or the featureless white void, everybody. Sorry. I, I'm a fan of the void. I'm glad I switched over to the void uh, oh, yeah. a, a year and a half ago. I'm like, I need to... All of, because the, the problem with my old frames was that, like, I had the original batch that we were working from, and then I kind of, like like mix and match them to make yeah. mm -hmm. new ones. But then it was like when you fax a fax or like when you, when you <laughs> photocopy a photocopy, like the quality gets worse. So yeah. some of the pictures are like, here is this pristine line art. And here is like this one picture of blue two seconds later that looks like it, like there's a weird extra outline and yeah. like the quality is worse. It's like, I, I, I gotta get rid of this. I'm yeah. just gonna go to the white background. And the, I'm so happy that void. I did. The featureless <laughs> void is great. Also fantastic yeah. acoustics in the void. It's just, yeah. you, know, you can't go wrong. Can't Real go wrong with the void. Acoustics. Yeah. Shout out to the Quality void. Quality <laughs> void. Shout out to the void. Woo! That's for all my voids Woo! out there. Hey yo! <laughs> all right, let's move on to another question, shall we? <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this question comes from Radishing Lad. Two red and blue. Have any professors or teachers messaged you about using your videos? Were there any that really stood out? <sighs> Um, message? I don't think so, but we get a lot of Emailed. comments on it. No, we, we also get emails about it sometimes. Oh, really? Uh, I, huh. It's it's more common for students to mm -hmm. message us and be like, hey, our teacher used our your uh, thing in our... Yeah, that's uh, fair. And uh, before, we would sometimes get messages from teachers being like, I would like to use this video for my class, but you said the butt word in it, and I would like <laughs> you to replace it with something a little more PG. <laughs> it's just like, mm, yeah, I can't. Yeah. We, um, we, we did a brief experiment with Clean Classic Summarized, but uh, yeah. way too complicated to, yeah, to the, go into, yeah. And um, then but, even then people were like, there's still like slightly naughty words in the actual frames that you didn't get rid of. And I was like, oh man, so just no <laughs> yeah. point. Um, but yeah, no, it, it does happen. And uh, I, I don't think any one of them was particularly like, whoa, really? But I mean, all of them were to a certain extent, like Jesus, really? <laughs> um, yeah, but, it, it, at first it was like, oh, like, you know, we had a substitute teacher who showed your video in class, and then eventually it's like, I'm a teacher, and I like using your videos in <laughs> class whenever we start a new subject, and it was like, I'm sorry, what? Yes, um, excuse me, So it, it was like a slow little dribble of, like, progressively, like, more and more things, like, more teachers using it, like, more prominently in class beyond just, like, we're the fun video we watch when the teacher's out that day. Yeah, um, so, I've got uh, a, a I, couple younger cousins who will occasionally be like, hey our teacher showed your video in class today. <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, what? <laughs> so that's fun. It it does happen. I, I think some teachers use us as like a primer to kind of yeah. introduce people to the subject before Which they like, like get really into it. That's exactly what we're ideal for. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not trying yeah. to replace actually reading it yourself. So it, yeah. you know, I, I think let that us, use is great. Yeah, let us get you excited for the book and then you read the book and then you can enjoy the book. And then if you need a brush up before the test, then you come back to us. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we touched on this earlier uh, when I was talking about having trouble getting into the Shahnameh until I ran into the one thing where I was like, okay, now I care. I think that if, if our videos can be that one thing that gets you to be able to get invested in the thing without just sliding off from boredom or whatever, you know, that mission accomplished. Like that, yeah. that's really all I can ask for. Yeah. A lot of what I try to do with the channel is give myself the thing that I needed <laughs> to get through college. Yeah, and sometimes you just um, need like a good point of reference even if you are trying to read something. That's the reason that Shakespeare books always have a whole page of translations on the other side of like oh words that are yeah. have different meanings now or mm. that did, don't get commonly used. Like sometimes you just need one place to go to look to be like, what is supposed to be happening right now that I'm not <laughs> getting from reading this old English text or from yeah. reading this essay about Loki that's leaving a detail out that I feel like I need. You know, it's just a good uh, mm. good reference point. 
Yeah. I think and, is it, it is it Sparknotes that has the modern English translation of things on the other like um, it. I, I think, think that's, that's no fear Shakespeare. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a people, lot of people do, st- do something yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, for, for me in the history, I feel like what, what I enjoy doing is providing like a very wide look that lets people, you know, use whatever they need as an anchor point. So if they're, if they're doing like the, you know, the, the hundred years war or like, you know, American schooling system, you know, the seven years war um, mm. in like, you know, why are France and Britain fighting in North America? Why do they hate each other? It's like, let me rewind the clock to, <laughs> to 1066. And yeah, then, why do France uh, and Britain hate each other? How much time do you got? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so using the videos as a sort of like a, a big timeline from which anyone can can like look and, and find a specific anchor point for whatever it is that they're, they're doing in their class is what I enjoy doing with the history videos because I know that I'm not going to be able to explain anything better than a teacher can with much more time and much more resources. But like mm. if I can give you like a sense of what's going on, I'll feel like I did my job. Yeah. 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 It's always uh, it's always fun to hear from everyone. Every once in a while a student will be like, I used your video for help in a class in Ask Us Pod. And I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. we helped you out. It is very wholesome, very wholesome to see. I, it is. I like to think that that teachers and students think of us as their secret weapon. <laughs> I the only the only problem is sometimes people are like, "Can I cite you?" and I'm like, "Don't, don't, don't." <laughs> I tell you the books I used. You should use those books. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yes. Um. Anyway. Yeah, that's a a fun little look into the. Uh, wild world of academia. This question comes from Great Cthulhu Twelve. To all, is Red the powerhouse of OSP? And we kind of answered this, I think, on the episode with Cyan, where we put ourselves into a five-man band. I believe you were the mm. mutual Lancers leaders to each other, but... Uh... I think we ended up coming to that Yeah, conclusion. that's what yeah. I think. Yeah. The powerhouse role is is flexible and often a matter of context, yes. so I, I think uh, it strongly depends on the circumstance. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that in the last time we, we discussed the five-man band, uh, Cleo was the big guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> For, and she's much more reliable. For instance, you set me down with a large book, and I will suffer immensely. Uh, just immediately, bitch slapped into the nearest console, wharf style. Like, can't do it. But Cleo, she'll just sit on it and be happy as a clam. So <laughs> she's true. got it covered, baby. Cleo's really holding uh, it down for us, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I honestly don't think I'm personally reliable enough to be a powerhouse. I, I, I think that I struggle enough with things like basic hydration <laughs> and um, <laughs> maintaining an active sleep schedule that, you know, makes me a little bit more of like the, the messy Lancer type, you know? <laughs> I, I, I've done a lot of, of martial arts uh, in my in my days, but mm. uh, it's like, how good is like five different half-remembered forms of martial arts uh, <laughs> in, in a fight? I don't know. I've never had to test that yeah, out. That, that's touching on the... <laughs> that's touching on the, uh, you know, have a lot of techniques, but is it reliable is the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the whole, you know, I, I fear the man who has practiced one kick a thousand times rather than a thousand kicks only once. Um, yeah. Yeah, go listen to the uh, Cyan guest episode if you want the full rundown of the OSP crew's <laughs> roles. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Red is more Lancer than Powerhouse in OSP. Our Powerhouse is, of course, Cleo, who we can rely on for all things at all times. I've been tempted to uh, to make like merch designs with like each of role of the five man band, but I worry it might break friendships. <laughs> like, <laughs> why did you give me this big guy shirt? No, it's a compliment. I swear. 
Whoever gets the Lancer shirt is either going to be thrilled or furious. Exactly, yeah. Like, there's no in-between for the Lancer types. Either they're like, cool, so where's the leader shirt? Or they're like, yeah, that (laughs) tracks. Yeah, no, I definitely not something that we should do. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. That's all right. Let's move on to the next question. This comes from Gunblader123. To all, who out of everyone on the podcast is the best cook? And I am specifically asking this question when Cyan's not around because she is de facto <laughs> the best of all of us. She has a cooking yep. Instagram. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's really absolutely. a question of which Cyan of the bakes, three of us <laughs> is the least disastrous cook. I'm pretty solid, I think. Yeah. Um, I- yeah. Definitely baking at minimum. Like I, I grew yeah, up just doing all baker. kinds of baking. Yeah, all kinds of baking. I've been branching out into cooking lately. And like I've got all, all the, you know, the basic muscle memory. Like I don't mess up while cooking. I don't burn stuff or anything like that or, or leave things in the oven too long or not know how to use the knives or anything. Because, um, but, but that doesn't mean that I do cook because that's a matter of planning. <laughs> and as we've established, not my strong suit. <laughs> Uh, so usually when I'm like hungry, by the time I notice I'm hungry, I'm so hungry that I don't have the patience <laughs> to cook anything fancy. So it's breakfast for dinner again. Um, but I, you know, I, I've like made fried rice. I've been branching out into all that stuff. Um, one of these days I'll actually cook meat that isn't like breakfast meat. So <laughs> yeah, I'll get there. I've, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a solid base and I'm ready to start my training. Yeah. You know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I feel like I have learned a lot, uh, from, from Cyan's, uh, tutorship, uh, just like observing and then also participating. So, mm. uh, I, I definitely, uh, read, I cannot outclass you in baking, but, um, uh, <laughs> I feel like I am pretty versatile and decent at a lot of things when it comes to like cooking. Um, so like, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm no chef, but like, I, I can make most of the foods that I would want to eat. And like, sure, I'm, I'm using components. I'm not like making my own dough from scratch most of the time, but like I could if I needed to. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I think we're in a similar boat of like, if you give us a recipe, we can make it happen. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. about, you know, that's about having the basic skills of like, do you know how to use a knife? Do you know how the measuring things work? Uh, yeah. You know, can you use a mixer? I don't use a lot of recipes and I don't think I'm necessarily a bad cook, but I do feel like, pretty much every time I go into the kitchen, one of two things will happen, and either you are going to get a bomb-ass meal or it is going to catch on fire, and there's never really been an in-between there. So maybe I should just start using recipes is what the realization we're having is, but, uh... Maybe. You know, the things that turn out good turn out super good. It's just those failures really haunt you. Um, Mm. But I got got a few, like, uh... go-to recipes down. Um, I feel like old family soups that have been passed down from uh, the Italian side. Soup for your family? Soup for your family. (laughs) Um, It's cauliflower soup. It's super easy to make. You just layer cauliflower, diced tomatoes, breadcrumbs, parsley. First you you saw like get a little garlic and onion go in the bottom with some olive oil. Then you just layer your stuff Mm -hmm. and then you fill it with water and you just salt, pepper and like simmer it until it's done. It's great. Soup recipe from me to you. (laughs) I I had a... uh, I had a baking uh, fuck up the other month. Uh, it wasn't that bad, but the problem is I was making croissants and I did everything right except I didn't want to wait, oh. so I didn't let the dough chill, so the butter melted when I baked oh, them. No. They were still delicious. If anything, they were flakier than I expected, but like they were just sitting in pools of melted butter, hey. and I was like, I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> It was, I mean, I, you know, no regrets, but, you know, I, I was just sitting there with a plate of them, and I was like, well, I'm happy with this outcome, but I'm not going to serve these to anyone else. Nice. Um, yes. Oh, yep. no, they're all mine. <laughs> yeah, what a shame. Oh, oh sorry, no. you just missed them. You wouldn't have liked them anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
They were yeah. just too buttery. Anyway. Good news, they're not poisonous, uh, <laughs> she said between bites. <laughs> but I gotta check the other ones, just to be sure. Yeah, just to, you know, cover your bases. But we got time for about one last question today, so I think we'll just, we'll take just it out on this last boy here. Um, just Mutant Jed asks, To all, if you could take any movie and replace all but one cast member with the Muppets, or Muppet-like facsimiles, uh. what movie would it be, and who would be the one actor you would leave in place? Uh, well, I've been saying for years that we need the Muppet of Monte Cristo. Uh. <laughs> Everyone is a Muppet except, uh, the thing is, I think that Edmond is the easy choice to be human because that makes it really mm -hmm. funny mm -hmm. whenever he's in disguise and they're like, who could this mysterious man be? <laughs> because <laughs> if he's the only human in the movie. Uh, so that would be fun. But I also feel like Kermit as Edmond Dante slash the Count of Monte Cristo is just way too funny as a concept to lose. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little torn on that one, honestly. Um, I would I would love an all-Muppet version of Gladiator, oh. except Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix's Commodus is the only human. Oh, I, can, I can see, like, the Kermit doing the Are You Not Entertained pose, and you can see the little sticks holding up his arms. <laughs> okay, uh, second piece of fan art that we need you all to tweet at us. Like, if someone could send us a Kermit Are You Not Entertained meme, that would be glad. <laughs> And is that it's not so why funny you are because, here? like, in the context, of, <laughs> are you not entertained? Um, in the context of like communists being insane, it makes so much sense. Of like, he either paid for someone to put on an all Muppet Gladiator production for him, or he just hallucinated this. <laughs> so, so Miss Piggy is the dead wife, obviously. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> or the Emperor's sister. Um, oh, one yeah, of the yeah, two. Yeah. Oh, I forgot uh, about. You know what? She's got to be the Emperor's sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. God. Oh, man. Am I not merciful? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Commodus is the human, so that one doesn't count, but like, yeah, yeah. oh my God. God. Oh, my God. Especially like the speech at the very beginning when, when they're about to go fight the, the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. uh, All right. You are an Elysium. Gold. You are already dead. <laughs> okay. Muppet Gladiator. Oh, my word. Sold. Muppet Gladiator sucks. Um, um, yeah. I put in a pitch for Muppet Casablanca. Uh, <laughs> only Humphrey Bogart is the human still, but because that means that Ingrid Bergman would have to be like Miss Piggy or something. Well, yeah, yeah, obviously. But where am I supposed to go? <laughs> Here's looking at you, Piggy. Okay. Indigo, I misheard you and thought you said Muppet Castlevania. Which would also and that's yeah. also a great answer because the first the first episode of season three has Alucard with his little like sock, sock puppets, puppets of Trevor and Sypha on the shelf. And I feel like that's the logical progression of just Alucard going insane and does an all Muppet recreation of the first two seasons of Castlevania. So he's the only uh human actor. He's the I only guess? human, it's just okay. all Muppets and then Alucard. I mean I feel like Muppet Dracula being just the Count Von Count is just too good to pass up. <laughs> my boy, I am killing my boy. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh, this is twisted. This is a very strange place for me to put my brain today. <laughs> Any movie one, can be... <laughs> one year until I come to kill you all. Ah, oh my God. Ah, ah. <laughs> Any movie... Why has this thing happened to my wife? Replace <laughs> with Muppets is an improvement. Especially the one human character remaining is the part that's really, like, key to nail. That's the best part! I mean, honestly, like, the Muppet movies did not miss no. when they were doing that. Like, oh, Muppet Treasure God. Island works because Tim Curry is practically a Muppet himself. <laughs> Muppet Christmas Carol works because uh, Michael Caine was like, I'm going to be playing this like it's the Royal Shakespeare Company. And they were like, perfect. <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> 
so good. You either got to be like the anti Muppet or you got to be one of yeah. them to really make you it work. You got to really just like Ugh. go all in. God. I'm so sad that Muppet Gladiator doesn't actually exist. Yeah. Well, you know, for the low, low price of probably several million dollars, it could. Come on, internet. You guys are that good at this. You, you surely yeah. someone out there has the After Effects skills. Someone made a trailer for the time heist. Anything yeah, is possible. True. Anything is possible. I no longer write things off as, no, that'll never happen. I'm, I'm too world weary now to think that. Anything yeah. is possible. Truly. Uh, oh, man, God. this was great. The first handful of questions were like peeling back the curtain, like fairly like involved esoteric, like high level discussion of how OSP works. And then it's like, but consider this. Yeah. Muppets. Insanity. <laughs> I'm just, hmm, I feel like there's got to be like, there's other spicy movie options. Oh, I mean, pretty um, much any movie with like one particularly badass character, like Terminator with Muppets. So oh, many options yes. there. Yes. <laughs> But is the Terminator okay? Okay. But is, is the, the Terminator, Terminator the one the one who's human, or, is he, or is he is he like an ordinary Muppet, but the felt gets ripped away? It's just to like, reveal the robotic ex- <laughs> endoskeleton. It's just like animal, but in a costume. You know? Yeah. Okay. I think we gotta. No, no. It's gotta be Kermit because oh. he's supposed to look unassuming. At least for Terminator Two. That's true. Uh, I think Terminator One. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he's gotta look kind of unassuming. Yeah. I'll be back. That was very good, Kermit. <laughs> no, I'll, uh, I messed I'll be that back. one up. Yeah, I got, uh, I, I got, I got cocky. <laughs> Flew too close to the sun. <laughs> okay. Julia and oh, Julia, God. but what it's just it? the Swedish chef. <laughs> <laughs> God, I mean, I'm feeling like, like my brain's just volunteering kaiju movies, but I feel like those it I almost works too well. That. There's someone like Ken Watanabe like, as the only human in Godzilla. Yeah. Someone years ago posted uh, like an animation project they worked on where they had to like recreate an animation from a fight scene and they did one specific yep. rim, but they did it with like Muppet character. It was great. I oh, don't know if I could find I a could li- link to it, but it's I'm sure if you just kind of Google around it could probably run into that somewhere. I mean, I could legitimately see Kurosawa movies getting this treatment. Oh, for sure. Like, <laughs> Yojimbo, but only the nameless samurai is human. Everyone else. Seven samurai <laughs> and all of the, like, young samurai are just the Muppets that kind of be reined in. Okay. So are, are the, which of the seven samurai gets to be human? Ooh, which of the seven? Cheekbones. I mean, <laughs> oh, of yeah. course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, you can't go wrong with this formula, but I, I do think the Muppet of Monte Cristo is a real Muppet winner. Muppet of Monte Cristo is good. Something about Muppet Gladiator just really hits in the perfect yeah, way. No, the, Muppet Gladiator is the real winner here. The implied gore and violence is really what's It's just like it. stuffing flying everywhere. <laughs> you see an exposed hand through the felt. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my word. You can rest it's now. So God. All right, we went to a weird place with this yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> so um, that's about all the time we have. Red, do you want to take us yeah. home? God, sure, yeah. We've uh, only, you know what? We're only so many episodes deep at this point. Hey, I was absent for a couple of those. Maybe I'm rusty. Maybe I just don't have what it takes anymore. Uh, well, anyway, I'm not pulling up the script this time. I'm just going to, I mean, you yeah. know, this, we don't really have Just go for it. Just yeah, wing yeah. it. Yeah. Just wing all it. right, yeah, we'll do it live. Okay, uh, so uh, thank you all so much for watching, uh, listening. Is that, yes, listening. <sighs> That's the sense you use. One here. take. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, you and if it. you liked uh, what you heard with your ears here, uh, we have more episodes bi-weekly. And if you want more of us, we have a YouTube channel. I assume you already knew that part, but if you don't, I think it's in the show it's notes. It's in the show notes. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, it's in the show notes. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so until then, <laughs> I have been red. I have been blue. <laughs> and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Beautiful. Excellent. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on May 12th with another, unfortunately, Muppetless episode. But if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Enjoy the show? Leave a review and rating on your preferred podcast platform. And if you've got a question for us, be sure to head over to Ask OSPod on Discord for a chance to be featured on air. For even more special extra bonuses, consider becoming a patron. Links to all of that and more can be found in the show notes below. And until next time, are you not entertained?